Han er også der, ikke, som det er oppe, så... All right, Fabrice Mwamba, welcome to the Michael Anthony Show. Thanks very much for coming on. Thanks, Mike. My man. The sinking silent of despair The smell of dread in the air I'm head to toe in my own fear I'm going to die and I need to cry stage around seven years ago was definitely touted as probably one of the brightest midfield prospects in England and unfortunately had his career cut short as many of you will know um, but before we, we get into the ins and outs of your career there's something that struck me that was very interesting about you as a man let alone as a footballer and that was the fact that you only moved to England at I think 11 years of age yes I moved to England when I was uh, just 11 and um, I didn't know a word of English so now you're hearing is a I'm getting better. So. so you're not you're not fluent tongue is in English. No, English is my third language. And obviously, you you spent your childhood in the capital of what was Zaire, yeah. now Congo. Yeah, you would have been around during the days of the first war, and then of course the Second Great Congo War that took five million lives, biggest mm-hmm. conflict since World War Two. Yeah, as a guy who kind of then spent his teenage years growing up in in London. What was the disparity like? Um, what you get in England is uh, things is controllable, you know. And in the Congo, a lot of things is out of your hand, and the pr- police, the police brutality, is severe than it is in England. Like, know? would there been bullets flying outside your yeah, window? You could hit bullet, you know. Daily. Yeah, yeah. It is normal, you know. And when you go in in London or in England, the carry the police don't carry weapon so whereas in congo it's, it's normal you can see police carry weapons police carry soldiers uh, soldiers have his big weapon a 47 so it's just they're walking around with it yeah. yeah but the first the first 11 year years of your life would have been dominated by the political climate that was in zaire at the time with kaliba coming in replacing yes. natobu and stuff like that and obviously we we've we know based off history just how traumatic um that event in africa was what kind of effect do you think it it had on you? And would people around you have been kind of losing their lives weekly? And did you know many people involved in the conflict? Well, what happened when uh, Mobutu was leaving? It was like it's almost like everything was on a standstill. The whole country was still, so nobody knew what's happening. But all you can hear, the people that, that were in in the government situation at that time, a lot of people start to fly off of the country. And yeah. They leave the house empty. The next day, they just you come in there. There's nobody there. They just left the house because they knew that. It was daytime to leave because a new regime was about to take over. And when a new regime comes in, in many political countries in Africa, is that they want to get rid of the, everybody. How they get rid of them, I don't know, but they're trying to make sure you don't come out of the way. You well, know, so. Do you think that's someone who's been there and now is settled in the UK? Do you think it's kind of easy for us in Western society 
to turn a blind eye to events in Africa on a lot of occasions because obviously we talk about our own atrocities and things like terrorism but as somebody who was raised in conflict in Africa and obviously there's been starvation there for years do you think enough is done on behalf of the major countries to, to sort that kind of thing out? Well, the major countries always have they're, they're, they're the big boys they always they control a lot of stuff you know and uh, they have a power to get into a country like Congo and make things stop within a couple of meetings Whereas in England, you are well run. You can't just come in somebody's house and take anything and walk away. Whereas in Africa, you can steal somebody and just run away and people never been found. So there was no, basically when you were growing up, was there just no rules in society? No, there, no, there wasn't rule. There, there wasn't rule at all. It just, the rule was we just want to get rid of the old president. So how we get rid of it is even if you mean killing people to send a message, it's all be it. Did you go to school and stuff like that? Oh, was there yeah. schools? Uh, yeah, of course, I, 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 I went to school and everything else, but it's just that. The, the school was a bit... Um, the, the school was, uh, was tough, very tough, you know. Whereas in England, you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to hit kids. Yeah. If you don't do your homework. Of course, corporal like punishment, that. yeah. So I was there, if you don't do homework, then it's a punishment. Yeah. So it... Like so you were getting like they'd, they'd be they be smacking you, you around like. because that was obviously again the teacher of this day their reason is I'm sending you to do homework and your parents sending you to come to school to study and they're paying you to study yeah so at least you can do is do your homework so if you know to do it it's almost like you're saying you're you're too good to do any homework yeah you know all that stuff of discipline and could you play football because oh, the war yeah. was going on? Football is it's, it's a major thing in Africa, not just in the Congo. You know the way life for the likes of yourself and Didier Drogba yeah. and Torre and, and guys like Sadio Mane, like you grew up in Africa. Yeah. Facilities aren't as good. Climate isn't as suitable. Society yeah. isn't as balanced. But yet Africa overproduced so much quality. The quality of footballer is so great for the opportunity that people have. Do you think that toughness in the upbringing gives them a certain edge over maybe English players and, and players from European countries? Um, to an extent, it gives us the upper hand that because we live in a very rural area, um, we don't have enough facility, we're just playing with what we've got. It's all, so, about, it's all about rawness and work know, rate and, and stuff like that. And having the hunger and desire. But in the question it comes in when you come across to Europe, can you still have the mentality of being able to, because you went from not having it, to having a freely without even working too hard for it. Yeah. So, you know, whereas in Africa, you have to go home and look after your boots and clean it. Whereas in England, you can leave your boots at the training ground and exactly. it's right there. But you think that grounding nearly when you come over to England makes life nearly easier? You it, can't it, believe how... It, it, it makes it to an extent, but it's the consistency of staying hungry, of being wanting to be successful. That's when it becomes a question mark to many, to many players, I believe, anyway. And... Your father was involved in politics, and he he went to the UK before you yes. did. Is that correct? Yes, he is. got he got political asylum over yeah, there. Yeah. So were you left in Zaire for four or five years, just with your mother and your siblings? Yeah, I, I was there and um, just tried to cope. And you know, obviously, we had an idea where he, we didn't know we didn't know have an idea where he went, but we just know he was need to move away from us. Oh, you, you didn't you didn't know where he where he's he gone. gone? Yeah, but you know. We were just wanted to. We were just told he's okay where he is, but he just needs to be away from us for the time being until things settle down. Then hopefully one day we get to see him. And that was due to the danger of the current yeah. political climate. Then you got um, indefinite leave to remain to go to the yeah. UK in nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Did you know why you were leaving? Because obviously when kids are young, they don't want to leave home. But were things in Congo so bad that? you wanted to leave and seek new opportunity or were still well, kind of like my friends are back there um yeah of course, of course you, you you leave friends behind but you know when you we keep hearing about how nice europe is and you said they're telling you you're gonna one day you're gonna go to europe but you, you know and i was like, okay we'll see what happened then when that day happened you be like okay you know you get to travel and you get to get on a plane and you get to was that your first time on a plane? Yeah, and doing it was stuff my like f- that? It wasn't first time on the plane. So you're like, oh, this is different. So to come to Europe was, of course, an opportunity that you very difficult to turn down. But did you have the opportunity to go because your old man was involved in politics? Oh, yeah. Where a lot of your friends wouldn't have had no, that luxury? No, they wouldn't. So like, would a lot of those guys that you grew up with now just be still there or either oh, yeah, dead, some dead and stuff uh, like that? No, I mean, none of them are dead. It's just some of them all 
old old man and married and looking for job and stuff like that, you know. And would you ever go back to Zaire nowadays? Yeah, we, we've been there um, about five years ago. I went there with um, my son, and uh, it was it was it was a shock to me because it's completely different to what I left there. Be- better now. Um, I wouldn't say better. It was a, just a bit different, you know. More the, kind of urbanized, more. Yeah. In that way, yeah, you know, yeah, and 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 people were literally suffering a lot more than I expected. Oh, still, yeah, you know, and you know, you could see how people scrunching for money for every opportunity, every chance that came out of the way. And a, do you think that was you going back there with a new mindset, having obviously yeah. been a Premier League footballer? No, I, I mean, just being in England for so long, to yeah. go back there to see the reality it was, it was a complete culture shock it was like, again yeah you were like wow it's uh, different now than what it was before do you remember the day when you arrived in, in, in the UK yes and you just go into Heathrow Airport or wherever and you don't oh, have a word of English I, I landed and it was freezing freezing I mean it was so cold because I presume it's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, I, 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 I came in in December oh shit yeah so, so, so you yeah. arrive in the airport you've no word of English nah and then they open the door because we were, we, you know, we were not far from the door. When you get that breeze come through, you're like, wow. On the airplane? Yeah. I, I wore a jacket, but I don't think the jacket was sustainable for the English. And did you know you were good at football then? Because you would have only played, like, African schoolyard yeah, stuff. <laughs> did you know coming over, I might give football a go? No, I, it, it wasn't really about being a footballer. It never, that wasn't, it would never been the plan. About getting an education. It was just being educated and try to, you know, be somebody. Because most African parents would have wanted kids to get educated. You know, and now I wasn't no different. Because well, you did GCSEs and a Yeah, and I did like all, all my stuff, you know. And, and, and football just wasn't really. But then when I started to play, and uh, I just, don't get me wrong, I played in the Congo a lot, a lot. A but would more. you have known things like tactics and like it, w- it wouldn't no, have been no we, we, we didn't know tactics we just went and play yeah but you would have had a good touch you would have known how to pass a ball oh, you can pass but there was no tactic work tactic work is when you involve the formation the position and yeah, everything yeah 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 but it wasn't really that I just we would just run and play and, and would you have been would you have boots and balls or was yeah, it just yeah, yeah we have that but it was just like for us it was just to enjoy it you know and 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 street, as most people say street football street footballers are always the best footballer because you don't play with no rules no fears absolutely and, yeah. and, and that was me I was like we just run around and play play to I can't play anymore so do you remember like the first time you played with English kids yeah and then did you were you were you one of the better players oh yeah I, I, I did stand that I was like okay this is how they play here yeah it was very nice and nice so like you know so and you were just getting stuck in but what, what helped because I was quite tall yeah. So for for a fifteen year old, it helped me to get in trouble. And so, well, well, the only way people know me in school is if they if you said a tall African boy. That yeah, was, yeah, yeah. That's Fabrice. So you know that's Fabrice. So I was able to play with the older boys, you know, guys from my year group. Yeah. You know, which helped. What year did you move to the UK? Ninety nine. Ninety nine. Yeah. So back then, culture was a lot different, and probably people weren't as educated on diversity. Would you have found that England was a Especially the way you, you wouldn't have had the language down, and you were obviously coming from a different place. Did you find any racism in the early days? No, no at all. What I what I found in my school because there was a lot of um, a lot of uh, Pakistani kids, yeah, and black kids and the Caucasian boys. So there was always a click around the older age group that you could see, you know. And and it was one day there was a massive fight between three different group. And you know, in the background, you're like, okay, what was this year? Because I've never seen that happen before. Yeah, you know, it was kind of a shock to the way that you see people, you know, proud of where they're from, but also at the same time very angry about whatever and confrontation, confrontation yeah. about you know people's background, whatever. For for, for for goodness sake, I don't even know what happened, but it was just wow, I was taken back by. You know? So then, within three years of arriving in England. You begin to train with Arsenal, yeah. Who at the time were one of the biggest football clubs in the world, yeah. And obviously, you must have impressed because you got offered professional terms by two thousand and four, yeah. Players like Henri Burkamp, Cole Perez, yeah, Anthony Stokes, 
Yeah. Uh, and Patrick Vieira, who you yeah. were compared to. Are you from the Dublin? Or yeah. Okay. yeah. Do, you know, do, you, do you remember Anthony Stokes? Yeah. Uh, no, I, I remember Stokes really well. Um, my academy manager back then was Liam Brady. Liam was my academy manager. So were you training with the first team boys when you were 17? You were training with Thierry Henry, Vieira, all the boys? Yeah, I, the first time I went across the train with those guys was just mind-blowing experience. You know, you... Before even I trained, before the first time I trained with them, I was still at school. So I we were, at, I think it was a half term, and we had to go in every day because we were selected to become a full time for the following season. So you know, and I think there was short, there were short numbers, so there was like you know they told the manager pick it one of the younger boys to come across, and I went in there. I was just blown away at, you know when you're just starstruck you see all these people that you talk and does Wenger introduce you to all the boys when you're there is he like the is training nah, today? you know he just for me they say just go on and do your best that's it and uh, you just go out there and you just try to hold yourself and like you're you're seeing Dennis Bergkamp's touch you're seeing Henri's pace you're, it's you're almost like you, you're like you you were dreaming about this thing but now it's like it's a reality you know this is this is what, what it's like to play with the best in the world and you know. but what a rise that is to come over at 11 from yeah. a war to country with no English to actually be the guy within your kind of social circle who's now training with the Arsenal team at 17 yeah like there must have been there must have been something pretty extraordinary about the way you played the game because obviously you're a robust energetic midfielder yeah. but what do you think it is that you did differently because so many people were playing centre midfield at underage levels what did you offer that but was different you, you know I just knew what my game was it's just go in and get it and give it to the person who's better than you with it to do something else with it. Okay. Yeah, you know, and and how I get it. Did you look after your fitness a lot? Did you train yeah, privately? Yeah, yeah. How I get it, I just need to get it. There can be two of you in front of me, but I just need to make sure I get it and I give it to the individuals better than me. Were you a rough player? Would you describe yourself as? Kind I wasn't of, rough, but I was just. I'll let you my presence. I'll let my presence known up there. Growing up, who did you look at going? That's who I want to be. An Sen kind of guy or? No, Vieira kind of guy. Vieira. Yeah. Would you have been as technically good as Vieira? No. No, I was uh, technically I was all over the place, all over the place. Could you use both feet and all that stuff, or barely? Yeah, but is the 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 control, the, the the different type of control. You know, you have inside, yeah. in in the soul and out soul, all kind of stuff. So that that's the the finesse of it. That's the the detail of football, and I didn't have that well, because the way I played it was just in the street. So you yeah. kind of took what you learned in Zaire like, yeah. over to to playing in to English play football. That way, you know, yeah. And that, in a way, is nearly beneficial for other facets oh, yeah. of the game. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You might have lost out in certain things, but because you didn't have that trained element, yeah. you could intercept balls or get places yeah. that us, basically yeah. white folk, don't deem possible. Yeah. Like, if you see a Kante playing football and you hear the kind of memes or whatever going around, there's two of them on a pitch. Yeah. Do you understand where he oh, gets yeah. that I, desire? I, I, I see it because it, it's just... It looked like he's just been playing in the street. So he took that street mentality into Premier League and just move people out of the way like they're not there. He's probably the best version of that midfielder we've seen. Makaleli, yeah. yourself, have obviously got the opportunity to do it. It was a, it's a pretty special position, and I think we've only realised in recent years how effective it is to attain. I, I mean, it's a position that you have to like to do it. You have to lead like enjoy doing it yeah like you time. didn't you didn't really you know? fantasize about scoring goals no it wasn't as, as long as i know that i'm kind of going to do my job and stop people that's i'm happy with it you know it's not yeah. like i oh, have to score five goals six goals. yeah obviously yes we all want to score goal but then you know as you can see in the next five six seven years we've seen that that role becomes so so pivotal it's incredible you see every team who won the premier league um champions league um, UEFA Cup, World Cup, European Cup, they always have the best defence in midfield. When you were 18 playing for Arsenal, you didn't want to wait around. You see a lot of kids nowadays, yeah. They will. you're at a big club, they will wait there for four or five years before they leave. You chose to go on loan to Birmingham with the Championship. Yeah. You got Young Player of the Year. Yeah. You played over 30 league games. Birmingham comes second in the league. You go up under Steve Bruce. But yeah. the next summer, as opposed to going back to Arsenal, I think it was the summer of 07, yeah. as opposed to trying to break into the team. Yeah. You you wanted a permanent move to Birmingham. Yeah, I, I think... But you're only 18. Yeah, but once you have a taste of playing week in, week out, then to go back to Arsenal, to be told, well, I can't guarantee you, you've been in, in the first 11, let alone the 17 squad member on a match day, why, why would you go back and just... And know? nowadays, a lot of kids, though, 
are more into the money than they are yeah. performance. Would you have said as a player money was ever a motivational factor for you? Not really, because I just wanted to play. Yeah. You know, I was so hung. I wanted, I just wanted to play so bad because I just felt like, come on, I need to be given opportunity, you know? Yeah. Then I don't get me wrong, everybody wants to have money and whatever, but if you chase that too much to the point where you f- you're so driven by it, it will just show up in a pitch because you you won't have the same ability to somebody who's just more driven by it. And then, of course, you signed for Birmingham permanently. Yeah. Uh, well, kind of simultaneously beginning your England under-21 career. Yeah. 33 caps for the under-21s. Uh, one of the most capped under-21 players ever. Um, things were looking like they were completely going in your favour. Obviously, Birmingham went down the next season, but you still by their standards were one of the shining lights yeah. Fulham had the great escape and then George Stradlin moved to Bolton in uh, the summer of 2008 Gary Mason signed you for 5 million so by the age of 20 you'd already had at the time 9 million spent on you which is an absolutely huge yeah. figure if you're talking about the late 90s oh, I, I wonder how much would it be worth by now yeah, it would be. It would probably be like. It would probably be like t- four because that was recessionary as well. Yeah. That was when the transfer fees took a lull. That was probably like a fifteen and a twenty. Yeah. That yeah. four and five, crazy stuff. You got a Bolton. How enjoyable did you find your experience at Bolton? Because that's when Bolton was a club. That's yeah. when Bolton it's was mid table. Mid table, mid table team had a great bunch of guys to work with. A lot of guys with so much passion, strength. Kevin Davis, Kevin people like that. Nolan Davis, uh, Ricardo Garner. You see Escalana. It was Alamander um, there. Alamander was yeah. there. Um, and K- Gary Cahill before he moved to Chelsea. Yeah. So, yeah, it, it was a great great moment for me. I enjoyed it, you know. You you go in there and the change room is full of men who knows how to win the game. But the way we do it, we do it our way. We can go to a team, to, we go to a team and we can score It was effective them. as well, though. Oh, yeah, yeah, very effective. And it's it so effective that people kind of feel like they ignore it more nowadays because we knew... You know, you score most of the goals score from set pieces. Yeah. And we worked on it probably three or four times a week. But if you look at the age you were at, like you only missed three Premier League games in your first three seasons at Bolton. Yeah. So you're 21, 22, and 23. Yeah. Like if you look at the standards now of what they expect from a 21 year old, we're talking about a guy who had already played over 60 Premier League games by his 21st birthday. So, in a way, in those terms... I, I never really looked at it like that. Yeah. No, you said it. Wow. Did you, get that. did you think in the back of your head, I maybe at 26, maybe 27, obviously, if the incident didn't occur, Chelsea, Arsenal, United, Liverpool, Tottenham, did you think that big move would come? Because um, based on the first three seasons of Bolton, and, like, again, you started... You lost that 0-9 final to Germany in the yeah. under-21s. You also played in that 11 team with Sturridge yeah. and Jones and Smalling and all the boys. And they're going in play for England team. No, not, not, not even that. No, the 0-9. Before that, when we got to the final against the Germany, we had the starting level was... Well, the, the squad that got to the to this final was Johar, Mika um, Richard... Milner. Milner, Gerin Kibbs, um, myself... Adam Johnson, Walker. Um, Ridiculous number of caps there now. Yeah, um, Walker. Left wing was... Was Mancian in that team? Yeah, Michael was there as uh, one of the centre-half. Um, who was the left back? Michael Craney. Martin, Martin Craney, who's... He, did, he didn't get up to too much in terms of... Um, the keeper was uh, Loach. Yeah, it's got Loach. Um, you got Joe. Oh, Gabby. Fraser Combo. Yeah. Know. You know, it was, a, it was a top side full of top, top players, but yeah. you were one of the more established in the team in terms of appearances yeah. at a senior level. Uh, and then the next year, the team that beat us in the final, they want to beat England. O- in, yeah, in, in Ozil, Muller, all, all the boys. All those guys beat England in, in South Africa, yeah. which means you, you start to question, why do we never give an opportunity? Obviously now, it's like, to play for England is... It doesn't take much now. It's no, right now it's much easier. Right, you, you, if you were around now at the same level, you'd be capped by now. I walk in that team. Yeah, no, this was the last yeah. day. I, I, there's no way. Yeah, that no seems way. to be a consensus amongst a lot of pros. Yeah. in and around your era, is that it is easier. We had Razor Ruddock on yeah. uh, this show. You know, the former Liverpool and Tottenham yeah. player. He was saying that, like, although he might be a figure of humour, he was definitely better than Harry Maguire. To understand in. Straight after the World Cup, when France won the World Cup with Zidane. 98, yeah. 98, yeah. He went to Real Madrid and he just won the Ballon d'Or. All right? Real Madrid played 50 million for Zidane back then. 
So 50 million back then will get you a player of Zidane quality, a Ballon d'Or, and a World Cup winner, and a Champions League winner. That's 50 million pounds. Mm. That's this you can't that that's marketable. That's the question. There's no question that. Yeah. And to this day, we still talk about Zidane as the best of the best. Mm. What would you get? What would you get to 50 million pounds now? Again, though, inflation exists, so we have to maybe call the old 50. Well, maybe well, eighty-five. How would you? How much would you pay for Zidane now? Is it what price would you put for Zidane right now? As his pay, as uh, probably one eighty. One eighty. Yeah, hundred eighty million. But they they they're talking about to pay two hundred grand for Obama Young. Obama Young's having the same number, not as the same bracket as Zidane. Let alone the market. No, I, I mean I mean transfer fee, not wages. What transfer fee? How much? One hundred eighty million. No pounds. way. No, I wouldn't. I, I, <laughs> in today's market, I think you go for one eighty. If Pogba's going to go for 120, okay. I'd have Zidane at 180. You're, you're saying Pogba is... Pogba, Pogba's going to leave United this summer debatably. So you're, you're saying Pogba is just 60 million pounds short of Zidane quality? There. No, but I think the way the market is, you're taking into account the marketability and Pogba's Instagram and all that stuff. Like Zidane wasn't that kind of character. Zidane Instagram has got over 7 million followers and he, this guy stopped playing football. Yeah, so it's an interesting one. Yeah, probably though. You couldn't really uh, value uh, him at uh, more than one eight five. But then when Zidane is coming to you, he's coming with a, ball, a Ballon d'Or. So what would you have him at? Like three hundred million? I, there's no price for people like Zidane. People like Zidane. The people like the Ronaldo, Ronaldo, top, Ronaldo at the top of his game. How much you pay for it? The Brazilian Ronaldo. Yeah. What year? His, what year now? Well, I say if he was playing now at the top of his game. But that's like saying, what would you pay for Messi at his peak or Cristiano Ronaldo they, they, at his they, peak? There's no prime for them because those guys, they are, as I said, the price of the footballer nowadays, that's not that's not price. They, they're not, none of the footballers are now. The price they're giving that, that's not a correct price. But if you think about it, it must have a reason because the people who are deciding that are people in marketing, people no. in branding. No, it's all, it, all the it, accounts it, are done. It, 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 it's because I know how much money you've made last year. And I'm, I know what you're sitting on. So if you want my player, I need to get whatever you want. You have in your pocket. Oh yeah. And I would ask you for ridiculous price because I know you're in desperate need. And also the pull of the talent that we've got at this present moment, we are very short of talent. So which means, you know, I have to ask premium. Do you think price. football's short of talent? Yeah. I believe so. Like if you look, and I've had no, I've had this debate with a few people. Obviously, last season we had City getting yeah. ninety-eight points with Liverpool getting what was it ninety ninety. Yeah. I think I've said this to a few people. I think the Premier League was weaker last season than it was in your day. I think yeah. your Bolton team would have finished like eighth last season. You know, like you know how like people go on about Sam Allardyce is not big enough. You know, he doesn't play long football and stuff. Yeah. Like that. Well, we have to give some credit. What Sam does, he get he get what he needs to get with the player that he's got in front of him. Yeah. Simple as that. There's no rocket science. Well, some Allardyce has noticed and has notified that people don't take accountability when it comes to corner and 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 free kicks. You yeah. know, most of the games are decided by corners and free kicks. Yeah, Allardyce's games. Yeah, M- massive. We, we, you know, Did you play under Allardyce ever? No. When mm. some left, I we had uh, Gary Mac- Gary Megson. And what Gar- did you make of Gary Megson? Gary was a different, different person. He signed you, so obviously there's a bit of affection there. But as yeah, a, as you know, a, he was a nice guy. He, he was nice, but but Gary just didn't know how to communicate with most of the players, and his communicating was more effing and blinding. And in in the, in the change room, the more you say effing and blinding, the more you losing players. Really? Yeah. But you loved Don Coyle, who came in. Yeah, or or um, it was affection. But don't get me wrong, but he just couldn't tell me the truth. And he did it to most of the players, everybody. And he kept telling everybody the same excuse why they weren't playing. Why? Well, the first time, though, your first three years of Bolton, you were in the team every single week. Yeah. The season where you got... Accident, what, yeah. yeah. You kind of started drifting out of the team. Because I just... We didn't see eye to eye, you know? Yeah. And, and, and Owen was very predictable in terms of his training session. Yeah. It's very superstitious. So if we win... On a Saturday, and he wore red, tr- red top on a Monday. Come Monday, we're gonna you can wear that red top, and we can have the same training session we did the whole week leading to the game. Yeah, and it was his Burnley job in a way that is what amazed people and what got him, even the Bolton job for as long. And again, as he got. with Bolton, he's a very with Owen, he's very affectionate. He wants people to get along, and he wants to make sure they're doing really well. 
But what like Owen Dan is just couldn't tell you the truth why you weren't playing. Yeah. And in the change room, we all talk. We always talk to each other. Boys talk to each other. And in, if I'm gonna come across and say, oh, this is what the gaffer told me, I'm not playing. Then I don't to speak to you. Said, what did he tell you? Tell you that. Hold on a second. He just told me the same thing as me. So, you know, we almost keep, uh, you know, assessing it. We could, we, I could never predict exactly what he's about to say. But things up to this stage, bar the little blip with Uncle in terms of selection, are going pretty remarkably. You're 24 years of age, yeah. midfielder. You've played over 150 Premier League games. And again, 33 under 21. That's just silly. How, how, how many star? For under 21s. No, how many star? How many Premier League star? I don't think you, you weren't coming off the bench that much in your first three seasons. Oh, no, I never. I don't no. come, I come out of the bench now. Yeah, yeah. If I'm not playing, I've, I've been jobbed. Yeah. Not on the bench. So then, of course, FA Cup 2012, I remember the day well. Um, St. Paddy's Day in Dublin. So we were all uh, halfway. But um, we were watching an FA Cup quarterfinal between a great Tottenham side, Bale, Van der Vaart, all the yeah. boys, proper team. Yeah. And a very good Bolton side who were in their second quarterfinal in a row. Yeah. And could have done something in White Hart Lane. It was one all at the time. Garrett and Bale had scored an own goal, humorously and enough. I missed a great chance as well. Yeah. yeah. And um, obviously, I think it was 41 minutes in or whatever, yeah. The, yeah. Um, yourself collapsed on the field, and, and obviously, the rest is history. But what do you recall about like the previous minutes leading up to that? How did you feel that week? Was there anything that suggested no, this was possible? No, it, it, it wasn't. There was no. Um no sign, nothing. There was no nothing bothered me. I was just normal Fabrice, normal self. Uh, clearly, I was out of the team, you know. And uh, Owen let me know the week before that I'll be playing the game. So just make sure you get your mind right, so you're ready for the game. I said, yeah, no problem at all. And um, I was I was looking forward to it. Look, look, really looking forward to play over there. We got to the stadium again. There was no no symptom, nothing. And then out of the blue. What's that, the last thing you remember? Falling down, I was there. Do you remember people? Do you remember like a sentence being said no, to you? No, nothing. I was fully f- f- gone. So you just out of breath. Was gone. there dizziness? No, it was nothing. I just, I just felt I could look at you, but I can see two of you. So um, my vision just become blurry, and I just went, finish. And you, you fell down on the pitch, and yeah, it was like. It was kind of one of those hugely important moments in modern football history, especially with the kind of player we were talking about. Do you know what I mean? I think sometimes you get mistaken without being in any way offensive as the player who had the heart attack. But people forget the context at the time. Yeah. Bright English talent who, in a way, he's only 31 years of age. You could have easily been anchoring the midfield against Croatia last summer in the World Cup semi-final. I don't know about that. Do you not think so, no? He's saying, I don't... I I, based off what you'd achieved at the age I don't think there was any doubt about the fact that you definitely would have went to a major tournament with England and and especially the way your style of player became more popular amongst big sides yeah no but on Sky News I remember there was just this kind of silence amongst the stadium and amongst the whole place it was like this just tragic affair what do you owe to Dr. Andrew Diener um for all the listeners who don't know, a cardiologist was in the stadium in White Hart Lane. What happened to me, I was fortunate enough that it happened in a football pitch. That's one. Yeah. yeah. Because within the football pitch, I had an ambulance, which was 10 seconds away from me. I had four doctors, where they were just 10 seconds away from me, and I had a cardiologist in the stadium, so which is uh, five people, plus an ambulance, six. So they were able to come in me as quickly as possible they can came in ambulance and take me to London Chest Hospital which would make a massive dif- difference if this is happening because that's where Dr. Diener so, worked yeah. isn't it he yeah. he kind of decided we're going to the chest hospital instead of the if the this accident ever happened to my house would have been a whole completely different outcome but where it happened I had the best medical care I could have wished for on the day you know Dr. Diener he actually came to the stadium using his nephew's ticket his cousin's ticket yeah. So he wasn't even meant to allow to come to the stadium, you know, because he's Jewish. He's Jewish. Uh, they don't watch TV on the weekend. Is he a Jewish man, yeah, Dr. Yeah, Diener? Yeah. 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 So he came in and he did a great job. Before that, though, the two doctors from the teach team, the Bolton doctor and the Spurs doctor, they, were, they did an amazing job just to be able to keep me where I was and in the position that they put me in and then he came and took over from the ambulance and he looked to his he looked to his brothers or something and said they're using a defibrillator should I do something as a yeah. heart card and they said you do and he actually struggled to get past the stewards he originally did. he did and he ended up getting to the, state, uh, to the pitch um, and then when this, the other two doctors were doing the job and he took over from the ambulance to 
the practice, which was the London Chess Hospital. And Kevin Davis was in the ambulance with you know, and Coyle and stuff yeah. like that. And then you went and were you operated on that night? I was. I couldn't tell you. I was gone. Were I, you? Yeah, I was gone. So what's the next thing? You remember falling, then you remember waking up. I waking up a few days after. And what? What was? What? What was the buzz there? Drowsy. Um. Then I woke up for about a minute and a half or two minutes. Then I fell back asleep because I, you, I was drugged up. You know, yeah. and everybody was just waiting to see me to wake up you yeah. know and then I woke up and then for a bit then I spoke to my dad for a little bit and I went back to sleep then I fully fully woke up when I started you know seeing people coming in around my 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 room you like well, what's happening here and they explained to me what happened which is to me I, I couldn't believe that happened to me I doubted that much I was like no no way but as the day goes bo- goes on, the longer you stay in the hospital, the, the longer you start to realize, okay, I was Because the heart, the heart will stop for like 78 minutes, is yeah. what they say. Yeah. 78, apparently. Yeah. Like, even to come out of it without any sort of brain malfunction was pretty I, miraculous. I, 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 it's, it's nothing but a miracle. God was on my side. God has always been on my side, you know. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I believe that I, this happened so that everybody know that, you know, God did a miracle because... Everything was against me on the day. Everything. Everything. But God just made sure that I was still here and I've been It must it must be crazy for you though, because a lot of people have near death experiences, yeah. but not everyone has one in the media spotlight. You went from kind of promising midfielder to yeah. in a way a celebrity over this. You event. know what? Like how, how did you deal <laughs> with like a lot of people kinda of get post traumatic stress about near death experiences and obviously there's a bit of an existential yeah. thing as if like, ooh, I was quite close to death there. That was yeah. scary. Like you'd have those moments, but to have that with tabloids ringing, you must be it must be overwhelming. Uh, it's, not, it's not even tabloid. I had calls from literally everybody in the world of football. From I went to sit down with uh, the old FIFA president. Bladder. Yeah, we had <laughs> me, I, he, he invited me over. He's at a plane, took me to there. We went, went, went dinner. How yeah, did you yeah. find him? I, I, this was before the, uh, the scandals. Yeah, came yeah. Out. I went in. He went to. He took me to FIFA World headquarters. Showed me around. Amazing building. And I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, yeah. Um, took With me to his private restaurant in Geneva. Food and stuff. Bribery like money gets you. The, it yeah, gets you the it, best oh. quality <laughs> stuff. Do you know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, I had a phone call from the Pope. No way. Yeah, left him. And <laughs> as a religious man yourself, that yeah. must have been an honor. Was it Francis? No, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. How long did the phone call go about on for? About a minute. What number does it <laughs> ring you on? Does it private just, number? And yeah, you just answer, and yeah. then does someone hand you on to him? Yeah, and the Pope was on the blower yeah. to him. Bex called me. Yeah, uh, left a voice message. Uh, prior to that, prior to the accident, though, like me and Thierry were we used to blackberry each other. You and Thierry Henry? Yeah, Blackberry. So the day before the game, we were speaking on Blackberry. So when he found out what happened, he flew over, saw me, but I, could, uh, you know, I couldn't talk too much to him because I was that much gone. Oh, he, he came over that early? You know, he was probably the first person. Wow. He came over. Are the, you good? Are you, you're good mates with Thierry, are you? Yeah. So yeah. he came over the next day. The accident happened on Saturday. The next day, he came over to see me. Um, oh, I mean, I had the whole of Real Madrid shirt had a whole of Barcelona shirt all yeah. that kind of stuff you know um, when you woke up did you kind of in a way because you're not too aware of it when you were young did you in a way view it as another injury and think when am I back playing you know I, I was just wait, I just thinking this accident is curable and I'll be able to get up very soon for my business and go and play football then the, the longer you stay in the hospital the longer they start giving you different information. They start to worry. It's like, okay, this is it's bigger than what it seemed to me now, you know, and um, and because uh, obviously since week we've, one, we, week we've seen people like Mark Vivian Foway and yeah. Jack Tiote go the other way. Yeah, if you had a die, would it have gone down a sudden death syndrome kind of thing. It or? has to be. Yeah, it has to be. You know, and it's weird to see that saved. Yeah, yeah. And a week one, week two, nothing. Week three, um. Then my kidneys start to work, and um, I had to go had a and a pacemaker put in, in me. That was just another. Where are you thinking? Whoa, a pacemaker? What's what's this kind of lost long for? Yeah, like I'm not seventy. You know, and um, yeah, and you know, you sit down with people. Start to just in you know, the first two weeks, a lot of people start to come in. Third week, there'll be less less people. Then the fourth week, there's just family. 
So everything starts to die down. You start to think, well, this is going to end in very... That's kind of what happens in even, like, funerals and stuff like that, though. Those stages of grief where, like, if yeah. somebody close to you dies, everyone's there. Second yeah. day, everyone's there. By week four, you're just kind of sitting there going, I'm the one here who's feeling it. That yeah. must have been unbelievably isolating for you. But then when you got that news in 2013, you went over to Belgium and they told you, listen, you can't yeah. play again. That must have been a huge blow. Oh, yeah. When I went to the specialist in Belgium, to been told that... I can't do anything and I would advise you to stop playing. That's a better pill to swallow. A horrible, horrible pill. But for my own safety, for my own well being, it was probably the best decision. So where I get to see my kids, get to play. Did with you them. struggle to watch football for the next few years? Yeah. It's very difficult. Like even if you're watching championship or league one level now, are you kinda of going, oh, cover the ground. Mark up. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there a frustration still that lingers I, I, going? I, I think that's just with all the ex-players. Yeah. You know. But you're very young to be in yeah, that position. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You watch people thinking, my God, just a little bit more will make a massive difference. And yeah. then even, because obviously Premier League footballers make, even in your day, obscene but fair amounts of money because yeah. the interest in the game is there. When you found out that even financially, things were going to take a different path. What was the story there? Was there an insurance payout? Or oh, how yeah, did you there, there was an insurance payout, but also... I, like was, I, your, was your whole contract paid out, the rest of your contract paid out? Yeah, and because the discussion was completely, we're not paying you your, your whole contract. So we had to take it to the court and stuff. Like really, that. yeah? Obviously, those stuff I can't go into detail. Obviously, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we end up getting what we, I end up getting what I deserve to get. Um, but also... I live with him, I mean, I'm saying, you know, I, I live with, I don't drive a flashy car, I don't hang around with 10 people, I just came with my son. You don't go, yeah, you don't go and get a bottle of I Cristal don't go and nightclubs. every night in a nightclub, you know, and that's how I was able to sustain. How long life. was left on your contract when it happened? Two years. Okay. Yeah. What Two years you? on very good money too. Yeah. Have you watched the incident back? Yeah, I, I, I've seen it. I've and what's it. it like watching yourself collapse on a pitch? in disbelief yeah. this is happening to me so it's 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 just frightening like yeah. if you think about it like do you ever think about how vulnerable you were at that oh, time yeah. you're, you're in a very difficult very difficult position like even yeah. mentally that your life was in other yeah. people's hands at one point yeah like that must be very crazy so. to come to terms with and are you still when you, are you at a position now when you look back in your career are you proud of the player you were or is there still that what if factor that's always going to be um, there you have a moment of what if, but at the same time, I'm very grateful and thankful that I was able to live most kids' dream in England. Of course. Yeah. Kids in England want to play football. Yes. Nowadays, it's even more than ever. Exactly. Everybody wants to become a footballer. Yeah. So me with my little talent that I had. Do you not think you were, you weren't, you would, you'd admit that you weren't necessarily over I, I, I wasn't the most gifted footballer, but all I knew, I could just work very hard to get the best out of the best, the best, the best out of me. You know, I know my strength, I know my weaknesses, but also I know what you take to play in the Premier League. So, you know, when you do two or three seasons, so you just have to get your head around it. And I said before, the talent that I had, uh, you know, this player when I signed for Arsenal was more talented than me. Matter of fact, I, I put a picture up on my Instagram, all right? I'm going to show you. You name me every single player that you've seen in there, and you, you tell me where they are. Who the, where they are right now and who they play, they're playing for. Mm. All right. I'm gonna go from that. I'm gonna go from this side. All right. I need. I need to hold. Hold on. Okay. So you zoom in. Start from one. All right. Um. That Italian centre forward. What was his name? Lupoli. Lupoli. Yes. Lupoli doesn't play anymore. Anthony Stokes. Yes. Ces Fabregas. Okay. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Oh, I'll tell you who's there. Um, there's Fabregas. There's um, Anthony Stokes. There's Mike Howard, who's a goalkeeper at Blackpool. There's um, Yohan Juru. Oh yeah, Giroud. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see him. Um, out of all of these, all of us, 
Sesk will probably have a better career. Probably Sesk and Johan probably had a better career than Sesk, Johan. Do you reckon Johan did? Johan's still playing. Yeah, but it doesn't matter if he's still playing. Like, what level is he playing at? Uh, Turkey, I think. Yeah. Probably not. He played Champions League, but he didn't. Yeah, but you probably would have played Champions yeah, League, man. But I'm saying, out of all of them, probably out of every one of them, you're probably number two. Okay, if you say that, then I'll take that. After Fabregas. Did you play with Fabregas in the middle on that academy team, week yeah. in, week out? Yeah. You and Cesc Fabregas in yeah. the middle? Yeah. How good was he? Cesc was good. He was just too talented to be ever as a footballer. You know, he was so far ahead of us. Um, he, 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 he was so far ahead of us that he trained with us one week and then we never seen him but only come and play with us in like a match yeah but on a selective game yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. and he just come and play with us then gone again he didn't really like although Fabregas had a phenomenal career he could have been better um based off the fact like when he went to Barcelona he was outrageous and then coming back to Chelsea like the Fabregas could have been I, I, I think when he went to Barcelona he that took his game to another stage because the player that he was playing with, but then he wasn't at the same stage as them. Yeah, so that nearly had a knock-on effect. A knock-on effect. So yeah. He went in there, he probably, yeah, they had Chavez, Iniesta and Busquets. So he's not getting in front of those three. Mm. You can forget that. So that nearly, in a way, it seemed like it knocked a bit of his confidence. And oh, then yeah. when he came back to Chelsea, he was just kind of like so not as good back, as he was when he left. When he came back to Chelsea, I think it was a much better player at Arsenal. Much better play at Arsenal. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. He becomes so effective of his game. He's more. Did you ever play against Cristiano Ronaldo? Yeah, yeah. Numerous times. Yeah, I played Ronaldo when I was at Birmingham. Played Ronaldo. I played with Tevez against Tevez. Yeah. How good were? How good was that United team of the 07-09 era? Ferdinand, Vidic, Evra, Ronaldo, Terrific Tevez. Team. Top, top, top team. Would you say it was the best side you played against? Yeah. Um, the the Chelsea team who won the league under Mourinho on his second season. Oh six. Yeah, it was top team. Oh my god. Terry Carvalho, Magalhaes. Not even that. You know the midfielder they had. I didn't. I didn't know this guy was good. To you actually in the pitch with him. Uh Michael Balak. Wow, this guy is. He is a world's voice of a footballer. Really? Wow, yeah. he is on on the money every single time. Yeah, he was. He was phenomenal. And the fact yeah. that even Chelsea was viewed as kind of the Indian summer of his career, that was United's idea with Schweinsteiger, and it just never worked out. He'll be the next Balak. Now, it takes something special to have a career in Germany and then come to England in your yeah. 30s and do it. But so what's the buzz now kind of with you and football? Do you have any intentions of still being involved in the game? Of course, you, you always. Yeah, I, I coach at Rochdale. I do, yeah. Yeah, a development club. So I've had a, last, last year was my first season to coach a bunch of a 16 year old who going through the GCSE so it was a enjoyable experience so this year I have my second team now so we started the preseason last week yeah so and the preseason wasn't like my day's preseason so now I'd be able to organize and want people to enjoy themselves and a lot of people say that in management and coaching there's a huge level of racism in terms of black former black players getting yeah. jobs. We have Sol Campbell now at Macclesfield, one of the greatest centre-halves to ever walk the face of the planet. Yeah. We have black players getting sacked quicker than white players do at certain clubs. Seedorf got less time than Gattuso, for example. Yeah. Do you think that's a fair observation that it's all well and good to... Because at the end of the day, it's a white-controlled country that black yeah. players playing the sport was all well and good, but to give black people the position of authority... Do you think that there might be this lack of willingness from the white authorities to do that and this subliminal racism exists that white players in a way nearly refuse to play under a black manager and, and white board members would refuse to employ a black well, manager? First of all, there's a huge reflect doesn't reflect on it because if you go to every academy, there's a lot of black kids. Every not even the the academy alone. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of black kids. But they'll let them. They'll let them make tackles uh, and run yeah. and score goals. Will they let them manage them? But there's not enough coaches. You know what? What do you put that down to? I I I don't even know anymore. I don't even know. You know, and I don't even know because the way jobs are manage, coaching jobs are going in England, it doesn't make sense anymore. It don't make sense. Who gets but the like, job nowadays? We we had we had ex black players like Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank yeah. managing Burton, was it? Yeah. yeah. And Edgar Davids managing Barnett. Yeah. 
These guys were some of the best players in world football. If they were former white players, they wouldn't have been managing Burnham no, they wouldn't. and Barton. They, they wouldn't have been managing they would, championship, they if not get, low Premier League teams. They would get the best job out there if possible. So, is there not quite clearly... There a, is. There is this favoritism on, and also how... Like, Andy Cole, yeah, yeah, was a better player than Ali Gunnar Solskjaer. Yeah. There's no question about that. Yeah. I know Andy Cole doesn't have the coaching experience, but if Andy Cole had managed Molda, yeah. then briefly got relegated with Cardiff, and went back to Molde, would Manchester United have given him the head job? I don't think so. No. There, there, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of players. You know, even, even it's not just in England, it's in France. If you see the, the team, if you go on to, not League uh, League there, that league, it's just pure black kids. Yeah. That's where, Kant, that's where Kante came from. Yeah. And there's no even one black manager in there. So you, you, you wonder, like, you're like, you know, you you have to be like Chris Ewan, you have to be the crap at the top, top, top to be even given an opportunity. Yeah, and he'd done how many years of coaching and he so, played for Ireland and didn't even, like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. there was a, it's, it, it is insane it, the, it, how unequal like, it like, like, you see why most black players are not interested anymore. They're like, what, what's the point? When we come back to the, the heart attack stuff like that and your, your ability to recover and your yeah. ability to kind of deal with it, like, do you think that how hardened your upbringing was and the amount of suffering you, you saw that you didn't spend too much time feeling sorry for yourself? Because there's a lot of people out there, even maybe like me and you, who were raised in a white culture yeah. uh, in, in Ireland or England where if you had that incident happen to you and you're more or less rescued yeah. by cardiologists from the grasps of death, you could mope around and feel sorry for yourself for the rest of existence, but your ability to kind of just go, that's what happened, I survived. Do you think that hardiness and the fact that you're still raising a family now happily and getting on with your life comes from the fact that you saw real suffering in your childhood? You really saw what pain is and you still view yourself as one of the lucky ones even though you had a career cut short at the top level of football? First of all, um, I, ha- I had my moment. For the first two, three years, I had my moment of anger, um, resentment was a lot of things, you know. But then you get to a stage where you can't control everything, and that came with being able to see somebody outside football just to speak to them, to yeah. them, to let them know what I'm feeling, and also just to be also grateful that this is for race. It's not the end of the world. There's people out there who are in a lot more worse position than you. So to be down about the whole situation you should have been doing that you should just be enjoying life and just make the most of whatever is yeah. in front of you you know that's how i look at it now and obviously i have family i have kids now so you know if i'm angry it would affect them absolutely yeah you know so you don't want to bring that into your household you try to be positive and show them that you know if things happen yes in life but you just have to keep moving on forward and do you you have, do you want your kids to follow the path of of being footballers, or would you be like your own father was and more focused on education? No, listen, um, you want to let them know how I, I, how, I, how volatile it can be and how I, cutthroat it can be. And I, have a I, I, plan. I'll give them an option. There's two option, you know, and you do whatever you want to do with it. But I've got, I'll support you whatever decision you do. But just remember, there's a good and a bad one. Each industry, whatever industry you choose to go to, there's always gonna be a negative side of it. So whatever they want to do, I'll support them and just be there for them. Well, as the Telegraph said, um, the man is a fighter, always has been, ever since he was a child. And Fabrice Mwamba, it's been remarkable to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the Michael Anthony Show. And thank you for coming as well, buddy. Uh, MA Show. Thank you, guys. Appreciate that.